Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey everybody, this episode of A Cyclist Take sponsored by Road ID. It's who I am. If you've seen the ads on the tour coverage, you're hopefully laughing at them because they're pretty darn good, I like to think. But uh this is a pretty serious product, Road ID. If you're not going out there with one of these bad boys on your wrists, you obviously don't give a crap about your friends, your relatives, anybody who might be concerned about you out on the road. So um we talk a lot about uh, drivers versus cyclists and it's not a contest, but uh, sometimes we come out on the losing end of that stick. And if you're lying in the dirt on the side of the road unconscious, somebody's going to need to get contacted and that's where the road ID comes through. Go to acycliststake.com if you're not there already. See that little blue button on the uh on the corner over there? Click on that bad boy for us. Order yourself a road ID and I'm not going to lie to you, we get a little kickback. We get a little help, we get something to help us put on this show and uh bring you some information in and outside of the peloton. So thanks to Road ID for being a part of a cyclist take. Welcome to A Cyclist's Take, podcasting from the bicycle perspective. I'm your host Patrick Bolger in the packfiller.com studios. New show here. God, it seems like we're popping new ones up every week, doesn't it? Well, maybe not that. But um been getting a lot of comments from everybody about just a specific show about the cycling world, about interviewing people from uh the world of cycling, professional off-road, on-road track, cyclocross, all that sort of stuff. And we're going to talk to those kind of people and those personalities in this show and get a feel about life on and off the bicycle from our perspective. We're going to have a lot of fun doing it. We're going to hopefully make you laugh and we're going to hopefully get some insight from um some definite names within the sport. It is that time of the year. It is the Tour de France. It's our rest day today when we're recording this in the studio and what better person to have on on then Todd Gogolski himself NBC Universal Sports commentator and a great all-around guy. So um I'm not going to spend too much time yakking it up because Todd's got some great information and it's good to talk to him. And um this guy's got more insight into the pro peloton than just about anybody out there. So um without further ado, Todd Gogolski on a cyclist take. Welcome again to a as I said earlier, a combined broadcast of the Pack Filler podcast and the new show a cyclist take which I'm doing now to kind of cover a lot more specific cycling issues in the Pack Filler studios. I'm Pat Bulger and here we are third of the way into uh the great Super Bowl of cycling as John Tesh referred to it many years ago. 
the Tour de France, and what a better way to fill it with uh, the great insight and speculation and analysis from NBC Universal Sports and commentator extraordinaire, along as long as also being an ex-pro cyclist. Uh, welcome once again to the show to Todd Gogolski. How are you, man? Hey, great. Thanks very much for having me. You bet, man. Thanks for coming back. You know, it's it's really nice to be able to, especially this time of year, this is the big one. As I said, this is what we all wait for as as cycling fanatics. And, uh, and here we are. So it's so great to be able to get somebody with your expertise and your analysis to be able to kind of give us an idea of what's going on and, and what's what do you think is to come. And I guess we just start out right there. What are your thoughts so far on this year's edition? How do you think it's going so far? Well, let me just tell you, I'd like to shoot to try and do one more during the race, maybe the next rest day, if, if timing works out for both of us. So oh, let's yeah. see if we can do that. But uh, I've been really pleased with the bike race. Um, the battle has been incredible. We've seen the emergence to a lot of people uh, in the in the cycling viewership world of some new names. Although um, these these guys have been on my radar for a little bit because I I pay so much attention to the sport. It's it's kind of insane. Um, but it, it, you know I think the the sprint victories or the or the sprint uh, stages have been I think very intriguing. And I think the GC battle is also quite good. So I, I think we're we've had a very good first uh, nine days of racing. Well, and you know, and I always love the aspect of it. And I guess you could probably associate just about any sport you you passionately follow the uh, the almost the the soap opera that it is. All the drama, all the emotion, everything going on like that. All these high expectations, which some are fulfilled and some are already on the on the downside. Um, I guess, you know, I guess we could probably start off with the obvious. Um, uh, Bradley Wiggins and, and Team Sky providing such an incredible uh, performance up to this date. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Is it something that, are we just going to say, oh, that's it, it's, you know, two weeks, we already know what's going to happen? Or is, it, <laughs> is are they undefe- undefeatable? Or is what do you think? Well, it's a, it's a very formidable team. Uh, interestingly enough, if you look at the depth of Radio Shack Nissan, they've got five or six, I guess they have six guys now in the top 23 places. But their best is Zubeldia in sixth, and then Montfort in seventh. They've got Gallopin 13th, Cloden 15th, Schleck 17th, Chris Warner 23rd. So they've also got a lot of depth. But what they, what they seem to be lacking right now is that top end. Yeah, and and um, so you know, in terms of team strength, though Radio Shack may have the better chance to win the Team GC, uh, Sky looks very well placed and poised to win this race overall, and and I think that a lot of people were a little bit surprised with how good Chris Froome was. Uh, in, in both the uh, first summit finish and the time trial yesterday. But he he really showed himself last year in the Vuelta, where he finished second overall to J.J. Kobo, and, and they had a fierce battle there. And, uh, and Froome was riding for Wiggins until the final few days of that race. And, and then basically after Froome beat Wiggins in the final time trial, and moved into second place overall. 
he uh, he started writing for himself, like in stage 17 on the Pena Cabarga summit, which was, yeah. if, if anybody hasn't seen it, go go YouTube it and and try and look for the universal sports coverage of, of stage 17 of the finish of uh, the wealth of last year, the Schleiner and I called. It was it was an incredible day of bike racing, and, uh, and and that's the type of guy that from I saw last year. I was calling his team up every other day, just learning tons about him. And um, so when he won his first uh, Grand Tour stage uh, in the in the tour, he won the one in the twelfth of last year. But when he won his first Tour stage this year, I was like, well, okay, he obviously has the form that he had last year, which means he's formidable, and. That means that even if Wiggins falters, Froome may still be able to beat Evans. Wow! And um, and so so you know that's that's kind of the the setup that I see. You look at Evans. Um, the BMC has been bolstered. There's no doubt about it. Bringing PJ Van Garderen in and some of these other guys, definitely a good move. But the thing is, is that they just still don't have near the depth that you know, the sky has. And when, when, it, when you're talking top end in the mountains, Fidel is largely going to be isolated. And some days TJ is going to be able to help him out. And some days he's not. And so it's, it's going to be really tough for Cadell to, to wrestle this away from the, the one, two punch of sky. Yeah, for especially for somebody, you know, a lot of people, myself included, I didn't I knew of Froome, but I didn't know he had this in him and to see some some of these things just first of all, his little bird arms that he's got. The guy just I keep thinking, man, that guy couldn't get skinnier. If he if he did, he'd blow away. <laughs> but to see him do that and then to see him in a really really strong TT performance yesterday, um shows that oh my god, okay, Sky has plenty of cards yet to show they've got they've got plenty to rest on and and they should be pretty darn confident going into that i agree with you on that can is there i mean is it just going to have to be some sort of a universal agreement that everybody else is going to have to take turns attacking these two because it well there are more than two in the sky group that are going to be up in the in some of these longer mountains but um uh, i mean what's it going to take because as you said i i haven't seen tj into that position yet where he's going to be in those high mountains. Mind you, I think, I, I don't know if you'd agree with me or not, but it seemed like these mountain stages we had prior were these almost more suited like Spain were, these these steeper climbs, and we haven't got into those longer grinds that, that you usually expect to see in the tour. Yeah, so, so let, me, let me just back up a teeny bit yeah. and just give, give your listeners a little background on on Froomey, as his teammates call him. Uh, the, the thing about him is he, he had this weird uh, parasite virus. It's either a parasite or a virus or something like that. And I don't have the name of it. It's, you know, uh, it's at the tip of my tongue. But he, he got it in Kenya. He's Kenyan-born. He, he switched over his, his passport in the last couple of, I guess, three years because the, the whole Kenyan Federation was – just he was having a hard time making the world selections and he was thinking about sort of his professional future and he said okay well i, I have this ability to have be a citizen in, in great britain so i'm doing it um so so we he rode for barlow world he rode the tour i think in 2009 for the first time with no real great successes but 
basically through my discussions with one of his his sort of coaches, trainers, Bobby Julik, several times last year and, and this year as well, um, what I realized is that Froome was a guy who had a lot of talent but was misguided and disorganized and uh, so, so his, he wasn't a consistent trainer. His personal life was, was less methodical. I mean, being a professional athlete at the level these guys are, are competing, they have to be these methodical, careful human beings to make everything work where they get their proper rest, they train right, they manage everything in their life around their professional obligations. And Froome wasn't doing a great job of that. Plus, he was not good at riding in the peloton. So he would take on a lot of extra wind by being out, you know, not protected, uncomfortable in the pack, um, attacking too early, wasting his energy, all those things that you think of as sort of sort of more uh, learning things that guys do as they come up through the amateur ranks and, and as their younger professionals, which he was. Um, so Bobby Julik just said, you know, he saw the, the potential in this guy. And when they figured out he had this, this bug, I'll just call it a bug because I don't really know what it was. And, he, and apparently he still has it. He has to get checked every six months to see if they need to, like, give him some nasty yeah. whammy to, to put it, suppress it again. Wow. He, he just kind of got his act together. That was the bottom line. And and so he he's a guy now who... The question was, was last year's Vuelta just a lucky race for him? And we now know that he's the real deal. Okay. So there's no question that when he can ride on the front for two kilometers with, you know, whittling the group down to his teammate and Cadell Evans and Vincenzo Nibali um, and Rain Terame and, and Dennis Menchov, yeah. and then go ahead and win the stage. He's the real deal. And then when he comes back two days later and, you know, beats Conchalara in the time trial, beats Evans by over a minute, and, yeah, he lost to Bradley Wiggins. But, you know, I was telling my, my friends, watch, watch this Chris Froome in the time trial. He's going to beat Cadell Evans in the time trial. And if he really goes well, he could, beat, he could actually beat Brad Wiggins in the time trial. Well, okay, that didn't happen. But that's how good he is. And so – I just wanted to kind of give a little background on him. Yeah. And that he's a guy who's, who's basically gotten it together. And if you watch him in the race now, he rides behind Bradley Wiggins in the peloton. So it's perfect because he doesn't have to fight for position because nobody, none of, none of Bradley's adversaries, Cadell Evans isn't going to come and try and bump Froome off of Brad's wheel. And so, so Froome can sit there and be totally protected Brad is totally protected, and they ride like that as long as they possibly can. So um, it, it's the perfect it's the perfect setup for him to shine and actually use his strength and not waste his energy doing stupid attacks and or taking on wins because he's fighting for position and he's using up mental energy and physical energy fighting for his position. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now your question, which uh, which I actually forgot, you may have to rephrase. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's 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 just kind of the you know more of the wow is this is this something that can be 
controlled. I mean, because it seems like, I mean, since Sky's inception, they have made one thing perfectly clear. Their sole goal was to get a British winner for the tour. And it seems like all that focus is really paying off. And I don't want to be a negative Nessie, but I was watching the time trial yesterday going, oh, crap. Now, you know, what's going to happen in the next two weeks? How are these guys? Is this going to have to be a collective effort from two-thirds of the peloton to try and do something against these guys? Is it over? I mean, I don't want to sound negative, yeah. but it, are we at that point? Okay. Yeah, you're, you're, you, I, I totally understand your sentiment. In fact, I talked with team directors today and um, had the same conversation with them. And, uh, and they'll remain anonymous, but I really feel as though I'm 90% sure that Bradley Wiggins is going to win this race overall. Yeah. Um, but let me just say that he's only finished two grand tours. He was fourth in 2009 and he in the Tour de France. And, uh, and that was his, you know, his first, it was everybody's first view of Wiggins and he was a little too heavy and he has, that guy has put his body through a torturesome regimen to lose over 15 pounds from a guy who already had six Olympic medals on the track, including three gold to get to where he is now. He basically starved himself to the point where he's balanced starvation with power output. And he is, he has continually worked his weight down to the point where he is now. And though, though Chris Froome, I think his name should be, his nickname should be Sticks. Yeah, Bradley Wiggins is not a lot thicker. No. He's really thin. Yeah, not even. And, and the only question I have about Bradley Wiggins being able to win this race without, you know, maybe like a massive, you know, effort by many guys from different teams to just isolate Wiggins and just keep putting pressure on Sky. um, I think the only way Wiggins would lose the race other than that and or some sort of a mishap is if he's too thin and he has a bad day and, you know, he cracks. Yeah. Uh, It happened to him last year in the Vuelta on the Anglaroo when J.J. Kobo went up the road. It was still many kilometers from the finish, and he literally just he sat, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten seconds in front of his chase group with Froome on the front riding tempo and Wiggins on his wheel for a long time, and it just slowly stretched out. And then Wiggins cracked, and Froome sat up and waited for him. And, uh, and Kobo got a, a chunk of time that day. And, um, and, and Wiggins, you know, he, he managed to finish in third overall. And, but, but, you know, he lost it, and it might have been a result of the fact that he has literally transformed his body like an actor does for a movie to play somebody who's in prison. Yeah. But an actor does not have to put out three weeks worth of racing at the absolute highest level once they starve themselves. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah, interesting way to put it. So, so his, his part here is incredible. And, and, you know, he, when he was asked at, at the conference, the press conference a couple of days ago about doping, and I can see why he was oh. not happy. No. Because cause you look at what this guy has done to himself, and, you, you know, I'm sure it really, you know, struck a chord with him because, because he really has 
sacrificed a lot to be where he is. And, uh, and, you know, and, and he lashed out. He just, you know, he was not happy about that. Oh, it's beautifully colorful language too. If you haven't read the transcript from that little quick interview, it is, it is, it was, it was pretty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. So, so, so to, to further answer your question, um, I think it's Brad's to lose. I think that the, the, the real question is how would anybody defeat him? And, if you look at the general classification as it stands right now, it, you know, on paper, it's kind of like, well, uh, you know, Cadell's 153 back. Yeah. Froome's 207 back, and he's his teammate. Nibley's 223 back. And there's, um, a- you know, and the Menchov is 302 back. Yeah. So, so these are big gaps, especially considering they have a 32 mile time trial still to go, where Wiggins is going to thrash all those guys again and and so they have to get not only those two and three minute deficits back on him but they have to get another two or three minute buffer on him before the time or after the time trial they have to get that time back somewhere yeah so if you look at that it's going to be really hard and not only that, but what Chris, what, with Chris Froome there, really what Sky needs to do, and, and, and you know, if anybody poses the question, well, is, is there going to be an inter-team battle between Froome and Wiggins? The answer is an emphatic no. Froome is really nice. Oh, very, he's... very much a team player. He seems completely no, in support of him. Yeah, I mean, everything, yeah, every quote yeah, I've seen, yeah. he says, I'm, I, I'm happy with the stage. I'm here to see one thing through, and that's Brad to the end of the race. Yeah, and, and yeah, that's right. There's no doubt about it. And the only thing that Sky needs to do is they need to, they need to save Froome every single day as long as they possibly can. And that way, if Bradley falters, Froome will not have been riding a, a lot of tempo for Bradley, and he'll have a better chance of doing the battle with Cadell or whoever it ends up being that, that you know, tries to take over the lead from Wiggins if Wiggins has a bad day. Yeah, okay. And, and so I think that's the key for them is, is save him just physically as much as humanly possible and use your other guys. Yeah. So to go back to guys who, who have a chance, you look at Radio Shack with six guys in the top 23, and, you know, I mean, Horner's a long way down. He's nine minutes down in 23rd spot. Um, but but you get up, you know, and even Schleck is eight minutes down, and Cloden, Cloden realistically is probably about as far down as any of those Radio Shack guys can be to even have a chance at, at six 6.30, minutes. yeah. But, it's, but it, what it really is, is is you look at those six guys with combinations of other guys, Putting the pressure on Sky repeatedly, day after day, and that's the only real way they're going to have, I think, to crack the Sky team. Now, here's the issue. The only way it'll work is if Nibali, who's currently in fourth, doesn't decide if, if after three of the next five mountain days, a break goes and it's the third day in a row and Sky starts to come apart, if Nibley doesn't put his team on the front and say, well, I want to protect fourth place because the guy who's in eighth is up the road, you know, yeah. or, well, it won't be eighth because TJ won't go up the road. Jurgen Brandenbrook, you yeah. know, he's ninth, he's up the road. He's going to move into fourth. I don't want to lose fourth. I'm going to put my team on the front. 
if, if teams start thinking like that, then I, I really don't see how they're going to crack the, the sky team. But if guys go, you know what, I'm fourth, what's the difference between fourth or fifth? Or I'm fifth, what's the difference between fifth and seventh? And, and they just put day after day after day pressure on sky. Well, you know, no, no team is strong enough to beat everybody. And and Cadell and, and and you know I think if if Nibley, uh in the order of the GC now Cadell Nibley, Menchov Zubeldia Montfort if those guys sort of the next few days in the mountains maybe they don't go crazy because Sky's still really strong they're going to come off a rest day they didn't all have to go full gas in the time trial yesterday. But if, if these other teams are really aggressive the next two or three days, then you start getting some of those guys in the top ten saying, you know what, now we need to start participating in these breakaways. And it's possible, but it's it's going to be hard because what ends up happening is, is guys say, you know, I'm ninth and I don't want to lose my top ten and there are two guys that are going to bump me out of the top ten off the road. And so they put a lot of belts all on the front and – all that's you it. have to do is do that a couple times, and Sky will be impenetrable after that. Yeah, that's it. And, you know, I've been also hearing a little bit of grumblings about Radio Shack, and here I'm looking through that. How many guys in the top 20? they got five guys in the top 20. Grumblings about yeah. this, this super team that's not – that's not uh, performing up to the standards in which they were created. And I'm, I mean, okay. I, I think you said it earlier in the show that they, they don't have one of those top end guys. I mean, uh, you know, I'm wondering if Andy could have done anything here above and beyond what his brother's doing right now. But, um, but to, I, I don't think Radio Shack necessarily deserves to have their back broken as much as they have because they're, they're performing really well, but obviously not in the top two, three, four, five. Mm, let me, let me, I agree with you. And, and let me tell you, uh, you know, I, I mean, I think about this stuff so much every day because it's, it's, you know, it's, it's my job and yeah. I, and I'm constantly trying to figure out what's the balance of protecting your team on that opening week by using guys to ride at the front versus rolling the dice and having the guys involved in the crash yeah. like Frank Schleck was. And, and it effectively, really hurts his chances, you know, by, by losing three minutes due okay. to a crash. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and any guys, you know, on the team that could happen to you. And, and I think what's, I, first of all, I agree with you on the Radio Shack team that really they don't need to get their chops busted. They're, they're having a good ride. I mean, they had Conchalara in the jersey, for crying out loud, <laughs> for a yeah. week. Yeah. Um, I mean, most people would go know, home happier than yeah. a pig and poop over that. You know, this is the best thing that could ever happen to them. And now we're... Exactly. So, yeah, so they're good. Um, even if you had Andy Schleck in the race, the problem is, is this year was, it was not a year for the Schlecks with, with 65 miles, some, you know, roughly 65 miles of, of time trialing. The Schleck brothers in that distance at 105 kilometers or whatever it is, they're going to lose to the best GC guys, you know, six to 10 minutes. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. And so that pretty much ruins them before the race even starts. It ruins a lot of guys. It, you know, it immediately brings it to the guys that. If they're not a time trial specialist, they better be very close to a time trial specialist and still be able to climb, or they're not going to be a contender in the race this year. And so that's why Cadell Evans and Bradley Wiggins come in as the overwhelming favorites, because Wiggins is a TT specialist and a great climber. People think Cadell's maybe a little bit of a climber when he's really on his game and maybe not quite good of a time trialist. So, okay, there you have it, right? There's your chance. And if Wiggins comes in winning multiple stage races and basically not missing a step in his buildup. And so really the only question to me coming in was, okay, Wiggins is the favorite. Cadell's the second favorite. Cadell hasn't had quite as good a buildup as he did last year. He won a bunch of stage races last year, and he just looked stronger. The question really remains in my mind and going into the race remained in my mind, and it's still there. If Wiggins plateaus and he starts going down and Cadell's still going up, the race isn't over. Okay, so we can hope for something like that, maybe. <laughs> keep I, keep things going. That that's my prayer at night. All these guys attacking Sky and eventually Sky getting worn out. And I mean, you, you know, I don't know if you guys, if you're, if your listeners or if you paid a lot of attention to the Giro d'Italia, but oh, yeah. stage twenty. The penultimate day, Ryder Hedgedahl, Darren Barracuda, in the jersey, the pink jersey. They get over the Mortirolo. It's a 4,000-foot climb. They descend down to the valley below. They've got about 20 miles of gradual uphill to the bottom of the Stelvio, a 5,000-foot climb. And they get there to that, to that valley. And my, my greatest concern for Ryder was, what if he gets isolated? And it's and if the Mortirolo isolates him, and he's got to fend for himself all the way from there to the finish, well, he was isolated. Joaquin Rodriguez was the race leader. He wasn't even interested in defending. Yeah. Michele Scarponi was third. Hedgedal was second. Um, you know, he he wasn't in, interested in racing for for third. They all knew the next day in the time trial that Hedgedal was a big favorite, and basically. If they, if they did anything to help Hedgedal, he was going to beat them in the time trial and win the race the last day. Yeah. And so when Thomas DeHent goes up the road, so basically Ryder's there in a group of eight guys, and they're all real hitters. Van Develle's up the road in a break, and they put him up the road on purpose so that he would make the Mortirolo and then be able to drop back and help out Ryder if necessary. Peter Stetna got dropped on the Mortirolo. So, you know, there was a clutch moment there where, where – 
like guys started catching, but Stetna hadn't caught yet. Guys started attacking, and literally nobody in the top 10 would, would ride. They just looked at rider, and they were riding at 12 miles an hour across the road. And it's like, okay, this is, this is your chance right now. You're, you're either going to win this race or you're going to lose this race. Wow. And the whole field rode against Ryder Hedgedahl. And he kept his calm. You know, he just said, okay, I need to figure out how to do this. He talked with his director. They're like, okay, we're going to wait for Peter Stetna to make it up here. When he gets here, he's going to ride out of his skin the rest of the way through this valley. Christian Vandeveld's going to drop back. When, when Stetna's done, Vandeveld's going to take over. And then Ryder's going to do whatever he can do at the end. And Stetna rode through the valley, closed down a little bit of time. They hit the bottom of the climb. They had caught Vandeveld. He took over. Vandeveld took a 40 or 45-minute pull up to Stelvio. And, and then basically it was Ryder. Ryder was left. And Thomas DeHent was five and a half minutes up the road. He was a virtual race leader. And Ryder went to the front, and he goes, well, DeHent's a good time trialist. I have to chase him. And Rodriguez and Scarponi, who are with me, are not good time trialists. And I just have to hope that when they attack me at the end, they don't get enough time that I can't get it back in the time trial tomorrow. And so Ryder was totally isolated, totally under the gun. He had two teammates that helped him in critical moments. And he pulled it off, and he won it on the last day. And, and you know, but that is so rare to see in professional cycling because guys start thinking about protecting fourth place or fifth place. That's depressing. <laughs> no, hey, um, okay. Well, it is. Yeah, it is. And and you know, honestly, when you talk to these guys outside of those circumstances, they will all tell you, you know, unless they're a, unless they're a, a, a division two pro continental team, yeah. it's a wild card team in the race. They will all tell you they're there to race to win. They're not there to race for fourth place. But when push comes to shove, you get to a certain point and you start thinking, you know what? I don't have the confidence that I'm going to be able to do anything more than maybe move from fourth place to, or from fifth place to, you know, fourth, yeah. or just hold on to this. And I don't want to lose fifth place. And neither does my team want me to lose fifth place. And as soon as guys start doing that, it, the race is over in terms of the battle because you can't isolate Team Sky that way. Yeah, these aren't just normal people out on a Sunday race. You know, they've got a job to worry about. You know, if I fourth place and tenth place are potential, you know, financial gains for your, yourself, for your team, for anything for years to come. So I, I, I guess I can see that. It, I, again, it's kind of depressing because I want to see the constant attack after attack after attack, but. I guess, you know, sometimes the conservative way is going to get you a job next year. Yeah, and and it, when you're looking at the Tour de France in particular, um, because it's such uh, a high-profile event, I mean, for any race, you break it down like this. Okay, it's first place or nothing. Well, okay, we can't get first place. Well, then podium. Doesn't matter if you're yeah. second or third, it's podium. Okay, if you can't do that, well, then it's top five. It's really There's really no difference between fourth and fifth. And then if it's not five, top five, then it's top ten. Yeah. So if you see a guy in eighth who's trying to protect eighth, you know, maybe their energies would be better served to try something different than chasing down a move. You know, maybe your energies would be better used to try and infiltrate a break or, or you know, take a chance. Um, because because I, I don't, I, you know, if you're seventh or eighth in the tour, I don't think there's going to be any real difference in your own future or your team's future. 
Okay. And and so people have to do that. They have to do that that calculation, but but also realize that the the mentality of a professional cyclist is if you're not thinking positive, you've lost all hope. And so guys also with you know a week and a half to go, they don't necessarily want to drop from fifth to seventh or from sixth to eighth because they think, you know, if I hold sixth now and I get a little bit better because I'm always going to get better the third week, well, then maybe I can move up to the podium and I can't let these couple of guys go, you know, with, with 10 days to go because I may regret it with four days to go. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's a very complex rolling equation. And by the way, you're hypoxic, you know, yeah. <laughs> in the process. And uh, so it's, you know, it's, it's a absolutely brutal sport. And, um, and, you know, physically it's brutal, psychologically it's brutal. And unfortunately, as, as probably everybody saw the interview with Dave Zabriskie, uh, the day he was in the break when yeah. that was one of the nastiest crashes I've ever seen, you know, when the guys are going 40 to 45 miles an hour and they start hitting the, the asphalt, it, it's hard for many people to understand what that's like but that is that is absolutely terrifying and it's absolutely incredibly dangerous out there what they're doing okay you know and with the kind of segueing into that kind of aspect of it um in terms of our sprints and in terms of the the first week fears that we always see um what are your thoughts on on first of all on the sprinters um you know the young youngster here with Peter Sagan starting to take over here. It looks like uh, Greipel having a great week, but then sprinting with a separated shoulder, and um, and of course the uh, always present, if not um, physically, definitely uh, verbally, uh, Mark Cavendish. So I mean, what do you? Th- how do you think things are going with all that? What, what do you see Peter Sagan being able to kind of keep this going? This is his first time uh, yes. like this. Yes, I do. Um, do. So he's. You know, the thing about him, he, he's relatively new to everybody's radar screen. Yeah. But he, um, let, let, let me just give you a, a, a startling fact about Peter Sagan. Uh, he's 22. He turned 22 in January, so he's 22 and a half. He started the Tour de France with 32 professional victories. God. He now has 35. You may remember a yeah. guy named Laurent Jalabert. <laughs> when he was twenty, when he was twenty-two, he had one pro victory in his life. Oh man! You may remember remember another guy, Sean Kelly, also known as King Kelly. Yeah, who? He had <laughs> two two pro wins in his career when he was twenty-two. So this is um, just the tip of the iceberg. This guy's got thirty. He's got thirty-five wins. He's more than halfway through the year. He's got his sixteenth win of the season. He was the winningest rider on his weekly gas Cannondale team last year with, I believe, 15 wins. Um, actually, yeah, 15 race wins and then two sprinters jerseys, one including the Tour of Spain, his first Grand Tour where he won three stages and won the points jersey. Jesus. Um, so, so he's the real deal. And the only thing we don't know about Sagan is how much better he's going to get. But we do know that he is very good. His top end is not as high as Cavendish's. No, and, but, and we saw that, I think, in stage two in which Cavendish won. It, right. it was a more of a flat-out right. sprint which Cavendish took. But the day before, when Cancellara attacks on the climb, 
he was right behind him, held right, held right. right with him. So, I mean, that's that's impressive. <laughs> right. He's 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 incredibly strong and he's incredibly balanced. And and not only not only you know can he sprint well, but he can climb very well for a sprinter. I mean, it's it's. The, the other sprinters have to be fairly depressed when they think about yeah. <laughs> racing against Peter Sagan for a green jersey. And, and so the, the, the race for the green jersey, um, I honestly believe Cavendish is, is eventually going to drop out of it. Yeah. Um, he, he, he told everybody going in that he wasn't really going to ride for the green jersey, and it was because of not only Bradley Wiggins' aspirations for the overall, so, he, so Cavendish wasn't going to have a support train, but it was also because of the Olympics. Yeah. And I'm sure that he felt that if he completely emptied himself in the Tour de France, that he was going to have a hard time at the Olympics. Uh, you know, I can, just for the record right now, I can tell you before the Tour de France started, I thought Sagan was the number one pick for the Olympics. But after the Tour, if he pursues the green jersey like this, it's possible yeah. he won't recover and he may not be the guy who is, you know, the guy with the big target on his back. Yeah, and he'll only have one teammate in the Olympics. So, just like he's, by the way, also freelancing the sprints in the in the Tour de France, he's going to have to do that at the Olympic Games. Yeah, um, you know. So, but but so there's been a lot of talk about Cavendish. Well, you know, he doesn't have any support. Neither does Sagan. You know, they're riding for Nibali. Once in a while, you see a guy or two up there helping Sagan out. But it's it's really that Sagan is incredibly poised for a 22 year old he, he he exhibits the the maturity of a guy at least five years older than him that knows exactly how to time his sprint he never goes too early he doesn't go too late you know you see goss who's really good sometimes goes a little bit early and runs out of gas yeah you see Greifel do that sometimes he goes too early he goes too late um he you know it's he is incredible, but those are the four, like the four names right now, and and the ones that everybody's focused on really have been Sagan and, and Cavendish. Obviously, you still have to keep Greipel in there because he has actually a dedicated team to help him do it. Yeah. And and even though Vandenbroek, who sits in ninth overall, you know he's going to be asking a lot of his team. They're they have a proven hitter for the stage wins in Greipel, so they're not like Sky. They're not just going to say. Rifle, you're on your own. We're all riding for Vandenbroek yeah. because they don't know if Vandenbroek is good enough to be on the podium. Um, and then the last guy is Goss. Goss is a great one if you think about it. He's a great one to go for the green jersey because his team has nothing to go for except for stages. They have no GC guy on Orica Green Edge. And so, so I think that what's going to happen is Cavendish is going to drop out of the occasion. Um, the other thing that I've noticed in the intermediate sprints is that Sagan hasn't really, really, truly gone for him until the Sunday stage because he knew, uh, actually, was it Sunday or was it, it was Saturday? It was the summit yeah. finish day. He really went for that intermediate sprint. Well, first of all, it was uphill, so it's more his style. But second of all, he knew he wasn't going to be there to contend the actual finish of the bike race, so why not go all out? For the points at the intermediate sprint the other flat intermediate sprints when you watch him if you go back and, and you know if you dvr these watch him yeah. at the intermediate sprint 
Sagan does not look like he's going full bore for those intermediate sprints to me. You look at the overhead, he's basically poaching points with the green jersey in mind. He'll follow he'll follow Goss, he'll follow Rifle, he'll follow Cavendish if he's there. Whoever is really there going 100% for those sprints, he'll ride right behind those wheels and make sure he, he goes, you know, 95% or 93%. So he doesn't blunt his finishing speed, but he still gets the points ahead of everybody else who's doing the lead out and, you know, the Kenny Van Hummels who are fast, yeah. but they're not quite fast enough to put him all, all over his limit. Well, and just like in the, in the overall classification, it's all about consistency. If you're, if you're placing second behind different guys every time, you're going to walk away with a jersey in two weeks. That's right. Yeah. So. And so, so Sagan, Sagan, I think, is, is the hands-down favorite for the green. And, and from there, I, I actually don't even have the points in front of me. But from there, I think it's, it's, it, could be, it could be that Goss is the, the guy that he battles the most with, especially now that Greifel's got an injured shoulder. Um, but, but I think Cavendish is going to take himself out, and Greifel may just be forced out of that battle. The Cavendish is still going to go for stages, but uh, it's just – you know, just the circumstances, yeah. the way, the poise, and the ability for Sagan to freelance these sprints is just unimaginable to me. I mean, we've all talked about how Cavendish has a good lead-out train, but he yeah. can also do it when he needs to without it. But the difference is, like, if, if you look at the world last year in Copenhagen, he had a great lead-out until, like, the final K, and then his lead-out fell apart, they got swarmed, and Cavendish had to do it on his own at the end. But before then, he had been protected. Yeah. And he didn't have to fight for wheels. And fighting for wheels, no matter how good you are and no matter how respected you are in the peloton, it takes energy, nervous energy, anxiety, physical energy. And when you get to ride your train until the last K and, and you're fast like Cavendish, well, you know, it's easier to freelance that last kilometer and come from 10 guys back, which is where he was in the final corner to win, than it is to literally be on your own all day fighting for wheels and, and you know, and no then support. still be able to fight and have the position at the end and have the speed. Yeah. And for some reason, Sagan has this ridiculously uncanny ability to do what he does. And, and I think that it's, it's just leaving people drop jawed yeah. and, and it should, I mean, it really should for his age. It's, uh, I don't know. I, I can't think of a time in history that we've had a guy this good at what he's doing this young. That being stated yet last year, I was saying Cavendish was the best sprinter in history of cycling. Yeah. And, and he may still be the best sprinter in the history of cycling, but this new guy is somebody to pay attention to. Okay. Well, and, and in fact, I have the points here in front of me. He's sitting uh, 32 points ahead overall, ahead of Goss. So, I mean, that's that's not too bad. That's not much. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay, yeah. that is not much. Yeah. And so, so Goss is, to me, Goss is the danger man to um, to contend for that. And and the, the issue with Goss this year is, uh, so his, his director is Matt White, and and I talk with Matt a fair amount. He's, he's, a, he's a very open director. And, you know, he came over from the Garmin program, the stream program. And um, Goss really wanted to win Milan-San Remo this year. And 
So, you know, he wanted to repeat. And so he did much like Tyler Farah. Oh, and I'm so sorry, Tyler Farah, that yeah. I haven't mentioned you. Oh, I was going to um, bring him up. <laughs> you know, but Tyler just doesn't have the top end this year. Yeah. And it's Tyler the luck. really wanted to concentrate on the classics in the beginning of the season. So he did a lot of long miles to become really tough. And it seems like it maybe blunted his top end a little bit. And he's struggling to get it back. Yeah. And Goss did the exact same thing. He did massive volume for Milan Van Remo. And he knew that he wasn't as fast at the top end, but he figured, well, for Milan Van Remo, that's okay, because i got to get over the late climbs. And, and the guys who make it there, I mean, look at them. If Goss yeah. made it over the last climb in that group, he would have probably won that race. Simon Guerin, you know, well, Simon was his teammate. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, if, if, if it had been Goss instead of Guerin, the, the strong likelihood is Goss would have won. And But Goss still seems to be struggling to find that top end. And the team, they're doing a great job for him, but Goss seems to have his timing just that little bit off. And they're going to keep working on that. And, you know, he can still be a player for the green jersey. It's, it's not over. Okay. Um, you know, here we, we're, we're running a little long. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I want to, you know, here we, I, I can't go with throughout the show without mentioning TJ Van Garderen, which I think is, is so, I mean, talk about a fre- breath of fresh air for American cycling. This kid's doing something pretty impressive and hopefully he'll yeah. hold on to white. Yeah. So, so sitting I, 42 let me seconds tell you what up. I think about what I think about TJ, um, phenomenal athlete. Um, I mean, just, just, you know, just great athlete. Uh, he seems at this point in his development to be better suited for like the one week long races. Yeah. Yeah. Um, TJ is a very, he's, he's an incredible talent who also has a strong belief in his ability to succeed, which is really important because when you're young, like he is, if you don't believe you can do it, you'll never do it. And, and he believes he can do it, and he gets the support from his team that he can do it. So those are two really good things in his favor, in addition to his talent. The challenge for TJ is he's not a team leader, and he's going for white. And so the, the issue there is when he was fourth in the prologue, Edvald Blossenhagen was a second behind him. So, okay, well, Blossenhagen really isn't going to be a big threat. You could, you could have seen that from the beginning because he's got to work for Wiggins. Yeah. But the problem is TJ has to work for Evans also. So if you go down through the young standings, you basically have TJ at the top right now. Then in second place, you have Rain Terame, Kofidis Ryder at 42 seconds, and you have Tony Gallopin, one of the Radio Shack men, at 45 seconds. The challenge for TJ is that he's got an Estonian who's the leader of his team behind him by 42 seconds. Yeah. TJ is a superior time trialist, but not necessarily a better climber. And as soon as if TJ gets put in the point where he has to ride on the front for a bunch of kilometers on a climb for Cadell, that's it. It's going to be really tough for him. And so basically, what I'm saying is if TJ pulls off the white jersey, you know, he has done something incredibly special because the deck is stacked against him due to the team obligations he has. Okay. And, and so he's, he's fighting, you know, he's, 
it's not his race to win. It's, you know, or it's his to lose. It, like, like I think it's Bradley, Bradley Wiggins' race to lose. I think he's the odds-on favorite, and I, I think he's probably going to take it all the way. For TJ, it's not – the white jersey is not his to lose. It's still his to battle for because I don't actually consider him the favorite. I consider Terame the favorite in that battle for white um, just because he's the leader of his team. He has all the resources at his disposal. Okay, so funny enough, my next question was going to be asking you to make some picks for the week, but it seems like we've almost got it in terms of uh, in terms of our individual classifications. Points, we're thinking uh, Sagan's going to hold on to it, hopefully. Um, I think he will, yeah. Okay, you're, and you're thinking uh, the overall is going to remain m- at least in top, in terms of the person at the top of it is going to remain unchanged. And we might see some battle for the uh, for the youth jersey and for our climbers out there. We've got a one yeah, point and, separating the climbers, so that's going to go anywhere. Exactly, and 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 I think I think the young jersey is potentially the most up for grabs because because even though Terame is at forty two, Galapin is you know forty five seconds back, and if you look at him, he's part of that six rider block of yeah. riders for Radio Shack that you know are going to try and put the pressure on. They're going to go for stages. They're going to try and move their guys up in GC. They're going to try and win team GC. And so if Galapan comes in, you know, 13th overall, three seconds behind Rain Terame in the, in the youth jersey, yeah. he's also a guy who could make one of those breaks. And if Terame doesn't make it, he could he could surpass TJ because TJ has no luxury of going in any breakaways. No, he can't. He's got you know? He's he's the guy who's got to stay back for Cadell no matter what. Yeah, and yeah. the only way TJ will go in a move is if it's some sort of weird random thing where he covers something and he goes up the road and he's like, okay, now I'm up here in case I can help Cadell later, and he then you know he has to stay very much in tune with what's going on and you know. Can, is there a point where he needs to sit up to, to help Cadell? But but that's you know that's going to be hard to do because a lot of what TJ is going to be doing, if if I were the director of the team, I would save TJ all day, just like I would save Chris Froome for Sky. I would say TJ, sit on Cadell's wheel all day. No one's going to fight you for it. Have the other guys take care of Cadell as much as they possibly can all day long and keep TJ for when the big missiles come out and, yeah. you know, and, and Cadell's really under trouble. Oh, man. You promised. You said at the beginning of the show you might be interested in another one because I'm, I'm going to hold you to that because I'm going to want your expertise in, at the next rest day to figure out what the hell's going on because okay. you're doing a great uh, – thank you so much for helping us explain you know, all some of these things. You've got an insider's track to a lot of these things, especially considering histories of a lot of these riders that, that you know not a lot of us are going to have, and it gains a lot of perspective uh, for us. So, um, Todd, man, thanks for, thanks for giving us that. <laughs> It's uh, you know, it's a, it's a real pleasure. It's in addition to it being my job, it really is my passion. And uh, I I have finally found, after many years of being retired from pref- professional cycling, searching for something that I really felt strongly about. Uh, about seven years ago, when I started announcing races and and then moved into broadcast, you know, I've I've definitely found my passion again. And and you know. 
ridiculously, I ignored cycling for all those years and said, no, you know, I'm just fried. It was so hard. I just need a break. And, and, and anytime anybody said, well, what about, you know, doing this or doing that? I, was, I always said, hmm, I don't think so. I think I'm beyond that. I've moved to a different point in my life. I just, and, and I just slowly started getting the bug back. And once I got involved again, I was like, wow, I, you know what? I'm back at home and this is really where I like to be. And so it's, it's really my pleasure to share my observations, my insights uh, with anybody that, that's a cycling fan, because it is a, it's, it's an incredible sport of just, you know, dedication, sacrifice, perseverance, and unfortunately, a huge amount of danger as well. Yeah, yeah. And and the teamwork in it, I'll tell you, I never found in any job I did after I retired from cycling. And and I just kept saying to myself, really, guys, like, whatever the job was, whatever the profession, like, really, guys, do you really have to be that selfish? Like, can't we? work together to achieve these goals and and in cycling you have that at least you do if you want to succeed yeah and uh and it's it's just a it's a it's just an incredible sport for me to be involved in well it's just like uh al pacino in the third uh godfather series they pull we it pulled you back in right it was like this you know this horrible thing that you know <laughs> but yeah. no well you know right. you're a great part of the community man and i you know i love i love your your call on races and i love hearing you and things like that so again it was nice to have you here and be a part of this so hopefully we'll uh we'll be able to hear you once again here and you know in the next couple of weeks or something like that depending on your schedule i know you're going to go do a sailing trip or something cool like that which yeah it makes yeah, me jealous around the, my brother's sailing around the world and uh it's really hard to coordinate with him because i have no communication with him until he gets on land somewhere and he's like oh i think i'm gonna be here for a week can you fly down to this <laughs> island you know 150 <laughs> miles off of the coast of Colombia?" and yeah. i'm like uh yeah let me see right yeah <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but it is um you, you know it, it, i would like to do another one if we can work it out and um and i think we'll get a chance to and I also would like to just let you know that the uh, I've got a, a really busy fall starting with the tour of Utah, which will be on Fox Sports Network nationwide, awesome. starting in early August. And it's two hours a day live this year, so it's a it's a very stepped up broadcast. I mean, it, you know, they just put a lot more money into that. And then that follows five days later with the start of the Vuelta, and then from there we go a week later we start World Championships, and then the next week is Lombardia. And so the fall is really busy again on Universal Sports after I do the Fox Sports Net stuff. And uh, so it's, it's, there's a lot of good racing to come. And, uh, you know, cycling fans, as, as you know, when, when I was a professional back in the late 80s and the very early 90s, you know, if you wanted to watch a bike race, you were lucky if you could find, I don't know, what was it, 10 days yeah. of bike racing on TV a year in exactly. 1990, you know, yeah. I mean, we didn't get daily shows of the Tour de France. We got a weekend wrap up and, you know, stuff like that. And, uh, and now I, I'm, I'm really happy to say between universal sports network, NBC sports network. And I know there's a lot of confusion out there about the difference between those <laughs> two. Um, and at NBC sports network formally versus formally outdoor life network. Oh yeah, exactly. Which is different than NBC universal sports. And, and I've, I've worked for, both NBC Sports Network and Universal Sports Network, so it's tough because I'm a freelance guy. 
And then with POTS even doing some cycling and, and Comcast, Sportsnet with some cycling, there's at least 150 days of cycling on TV a year in the U.S. right now. And, and so it's just awesome, you know. People can actually follow the sport. And, and, you know, we used to just have the Jones for seeing it on TV. Well, now you can see it on TV a lot. Yep, Exactly. Exactly, and we're going to get that. So, and starting tomorrow, we're going to get more of um, of the big the big race here. So, um, I guess we'll all keep our fingers crossed. Uh, Todd, once again, thanks for coming on the show, and um, you know we're holding you to your predictions. If you're wrong, you lose a finger. Okay, hey, <laughs> no big deal. You know, it's, it's all about predictions in this world. And uh, I got to say, Pat, always a pleasure getting getting the call from you. And let's just try and make this. You know, somewhat of a regular thing through the years to come. Sounds great. Thanks, man. Okay, take care. Thanks. And just like that, there you are. Tour de France continues on another two weeks we have. Hopefully we're going to follow through with that promise and get another insight show to you here before the entire thing is through, and maybe even one after the show. God knows that's going to happen. Hey, stay tuned to the GS Bulger Media Network. Mark and I are going to be doing a Pack Filler podcast coming up here very soon. And um, I know we've got all kinds of crap going on. I've been riding. Mark, I think, has been riding. And uh, it, when he's not traveling all over the place or crap like that. So uh, be sure and stay tuned. Thanks once again to Road ID for being a part of the broadcast and uh, helping us out. So be sure and get on over there and check things out. If you want to contact us, we're going through the Pack Filler emails, info at packfiller.com. You can follow, follow us on Twitter at packfiller, or you can just check out the packfiller.com uh, websites or right here at a cyclists take.com. We'll catch you next time. Thanks. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.